are continuing the lessons in Numbers. This is the last lesson. You remember we started on this and, and went part way. Uh, we talked about how Balaam had uh, caused the children of Israel to go with the Moabite women. And we read several, we talked about the definition of zeal, excitement uh, of mind. Talked about how bad it was there, but it couldn't get any worse. That they brought in an Israelite, brought in a Moabite woman, and we we see a person come off uh, Phineas. We talked about Phineas being having zeal for the with the Lord, Lord, and even his zeal didn't stop twenty four thousand dying on the plague. And we got to hear, we talked about using zeal to, obedi- to be obedient light bearers. The second part was, there, I hear it coming now. If you turn to Colossians 3, verse 22, I put up here, use zeal, not eye service, for sincerity of heart. And when you look at uh, Colossians 3, 22, it says, Servants obey in all things your master's according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of the heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And what we're talking about here is proper zeal. And I'm going to have to turn up the recording some because I've got to do another lesson after this to finish up. Also, if you go to Second. Corinthians 9 and verse 2. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 2. Second Corinthians 9 and verse 2. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. So proper zeal is not only an individual, but it helps the group here and helps as looking at proper zeal. When we go a little bit farther, we're going to look at misplaced zeal. As you read this particular verse, it says, I indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are today. Who do you think this is? Paul. So, misplaced zeal. What kind of zeal did he have at first? Important part, he did support the law, didn't he? But he was breathing, as we read in there, threats and murder, right? He, he sat at, or stood at the feet with the clothes of who? Stephen, as they stoned him. Also, he, we know that he asked for letters from the priest. With these letters, where was he going? Going to Damascus to do what? Basically, to get men and women 
that were of what we call or what was called the way and bring them bound where? Back to Jerusalem, right? He wasn't a real good guy, was he? <laughs> During this time. Yeah. He had not, as we would say, seen the light, had he? Then we come to Acts. And what chapter do we see him seeing the light? Chapter 9. And so what we see is a little bit different. And I put up here, it's what the blind men saw. First of all, being religious was not enough, was it? Let's look at these verses. If we go to Galatians chapter 1, 13 and 14. Galatians 1, 13 and 14. Says, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. And what did he do according to this? And tried to do what? Destroy the church. So it wasn't individualized, was it? It's let's just take care of everybody, you know, and destroy and get rid of what's going on here. And I advanced in Judaism beyond own nation being exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. So here was a guy that we can say that before the Lord appeared to him, he was zealous for the wrong thing, right? But he changed. He changed completely. When you look at this, if we go to Romans, since we're here, let's go to Romans. Romans 10, verses 1 and 2. Romans 10, 1 and 2. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not according to what? Did Paul have the knowledge of what really was going on with Christ? I don't, I don't think he did. I think he was so bent on destroying the way that he didn't really even listen to what was going on with Jesus and, and what he was doing. Yes, sir. I think one thing stands out, sort of a correction from my statement earlier, Not, and just in the previous readings here, we, we've seen multiple times where it says he was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. And that, I think that's different than being zealous for the law because the law pointed to Christ. And if Good he would point. have truly been zealous for the law, he would have seen all of the prophecies being fulfilled. Therefore, he was, and, and we all know and understand that you know, the traditions of man is different than, than that of God. You know, that's a great point because if you have been trained under the feet of Gamaliel, who were you trained by? The best that we know of, don't we? I mean, Jewish-wise. So Jewish-wise, he should have known the prophecy, shouldn't he? That there would be a Christ, there would be a Messiah, that the Old Testament looks to the Messiah. But it didn't work for him. Because the Jews were not happy with Jesus, were they? As total. Because they were looking for an earthly kingdom, weren't they? And Jesus brought something new that they didn't like. Well, besides being religious was not enough, 
thinking something is right does not make it so. If you go to Acts 23 and verse 1, Acts 23 and um, verse 1, it says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. So in his conscience, you know, he's, he's thinking it's right. Let's go on to the next one, Acts 26. In Acts 26 and 9 through 11, Acts 26, 9 through 11, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to what? Jesus of Nazareth, which goes against exactly what you're saying, Nate, because he should have known what the law was. He should have known we were looking for the Messiah. And he said, This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And then in verse 11, And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So he went to the nth degree, didn't he, to try to persecute these Christians. Well, thinking that's right doesn't make it so, does it? And Nate's trying to give him a way out to say he should have known. Well, another part of it is there's a tragedy in believing a lie. And when you think of that, when you look at 1 Timothy 1, And verses 12 through 16, it says, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, and I'm reading out of the New King James, but I obtained mercy because I did it in ignorance and in unbelief. And then when you uh, read 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Uh, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am what? We know it's who I am chief. Well, out of all this, of, of what the blind men saw, the last thing is, and we know this, he must make a change. Well, if you go back to Acts and look at Acts 26, we know, uh, and in fact, uh, we know uh, Brother Brian Baines going to be teaching us on the second part of Acts. And we'll be looking at Paul's missionary journeys. We knew that he wrote uh, much of the scripture in the New Testament. In Acts 26 and verse 19, it says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and all throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should what? Repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. And when you go to verse 21, for these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Now it's happening to him, isn't it? Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to, to small and great and saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. And this goes back to what Nate said. 
He knew from the prophecies there was going to be something there, right? But that's not the way he viewed it. He was persecuting Christians. Any comments? We're going to change gears and go to the next section since I've got to do two lessons. And what we're basically doing is going to Numbers 22, I mean uh, 32. But if you'll turn to Numbers 33, I want to read to start off uh, part of this. If you see um, the title of this, are you going to let your brother, brethren do the fighting, all the fighting? When you go to Numbers 33 and look at verse 50, Numbers 33 and verse 50, I'm going to read 50 through 55. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you've crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded image, demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess, and you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance, to the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. There everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But there's a catch. There's a responsibility here in verse 55. It says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall be those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. So the Lord here is saying, you will cross over and basically destroy these inhabitants. Now, when we talked at first in some of the first lessons, what did the Lord ask these people to do? Take a what? Census? What was the census for? Was it that you just want to know the numbers? Men of war. So what's the issue there? You need to know how many people are going to go to war. Of course, the Lord can do it with 100 people, couldn't he? And then we see as the Lord progresses through here, he set up order on how they would uh, be around the tabernacle. Do you remember that lesson? We are numbered. And they each had a separate place. So he knew the whole number. And he's told them when they go in there, he didn't say, well, if certain tribes go, that's going to be okay. What did he say? When you go over there, you go over in unity, don't you? You go over as a group. Well, when you see this happening, we see a little bit of a change. In, in chapter 32, here we have really two and a half tribes. You have the tribe of Gad, Gad, Reuben, and the half tribe of Manassas. And it says they come up and they approach the main people of the congregation, 
the priest, Moses. So they're coming to the right people. And what they say is, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Now, when you read that, here it is, Reuben and Gad, which is listed on here. But it says, do not what? Take us over the Jordan. So what are they telling these leaders? What are they saying to them? We don't want to go. We don't want to go. Now, if you're there and you're Moses, what do you think he's saying? Because if you count these people, it's over 90,000 people that we're talking about with these tribes. That's a lot of people, isn't it? So if I'm Moses, you know what I'm going to be saying? Here we go again. Here we go again. We've got this problem. Just before we cross over, we got some problems with a couple of uh, tribes here, two and a half tribes. Well, this is where the title of the lesson comes from. In Numbers 32.6, Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Do you think that's a little bit rough? Because now, when you read this, Moses didn't go to the Lord from what I read, did he? So as a leader, what's he saying? He's saying, you're going to send these tribes across here? And you're going to stay here? What do you think the rest of the tribes are thinking now? (laughs) Because you know the word got to them quick. Would you like it? Where, you know, just part of the people are, are working or helping, you know, this, this drive? Lord didn't say, let's divide up, did he? You know, when you look at Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verses 1 through 16, we know that in those verses... It's basically talking about unity, isn't it? It's talking, we always go one Lord, one faith, and what? One baptism. But we see unity all through those 16 verses where that unity is the bond that holds the brethren together, isn't it? And here, this unity is at risk, isn't it? It's a lesson for us to understand that we're not just spectators. What are we? We're participators, aren't we? That if you're not a participator, what does the Lord say? If you're not with me, you're what? Against me. So what I'm getting at, this isn't just an effect for Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manassas. Who is this affecting? All the brethren, Right? I'm talking about the children of Israel. That can apply to you and I, can it? And when we look at this unity in Ephesians chapter 4, 
It talks about different gifts that the Lord gave so that people would know these things, whether it's apostles, prophets, you know, ministers, shepherds, teachers. So how did they bring this unity in? Through the word, of course. And it's like Nate said, they had the word, didn't they? They had the Lord on their side. But this effect, and I think we forget this as we study this, this wasn't just an effect for Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was for the whole tribe of the Israelites. Well, when you look at that, Moses comes off pretty tough on him. It says you're not, you are acting no different than the incident with the tw- ten spies. You remember we did the lesson on the spies? We put the names up, who are these men? And we know that ten of them come back and say we can't do it, right? They say we're like grasshoppers. And when we read further, because of unbelief, what ends up happening, 40 years. Can you imagine Moses is thinking, boy, when the Lord finds this out, I don't want to do another 40. Well, when you look at this and this effect, this is what he says. He says, as you, as you read this, and we're not going to read all of the, all the, the verses, but he says, you've discouraged the hearts of the children of Israel, just like in, with the spies. Did not go into the land which the Lord gave them. Remember when we studied those people, remember the Lord says, go ahead and send out the spies to look at the land which, what? I will give you. Done deal, isn't it? Why send the spies? Well, the Lord's anger was aroused because they didn't follow him fully. Made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And they wandered until that evil generation was gone. So now who is Moses dealing with since that generation's gone? Their children, right? Well, here we go. Moses is saying, whew, here we go. Here we go again. Well, he hits them pretty hard here in 32 and verse 14. He says, and look, you have risen in your father's place a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. Is he being meaner or honest? (laughs) You know, when you look at this, the interesting thing is when you get a chance, if you'll go, in fact, we can do it if I can find it, If you look at Judges chapter 5, Judges chapter 5, I think that's what it is. You will find out and I think it's I think it's verse 16 in Judges chapter 5. So this isn't going to be something new that we're looking at with Gad and Reuben. Did I say chapter 5 or 6? 5, yeah. 
look at verse 16, uh, Judges chapter 5 and verse 16. Now, here is this song of Deborah. Deborah is asking for help to go against the Canaanites, if I remember this right. And I think the, the ruler was Jaban, and his, his uh, officer or guy that's in charge, she's trying to get the people together. Verse 16, it says, Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. And what she's saying here is, and I've read other places, that Reuben at first was ready to go. But when it was time to go and to help Deborah, they decided they're going to take care of their sheep. And then when you look at verse 17, it says, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and why did Dan remain at the ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by the inlets, and and it keeps on talking about uh, what these people were doing, but they weren't helping Deborah. So you can kind of see Reuben has a little bit of history, or the tribe of Reuben does. little side thing there. All right, now we come to the point that without us getting too upset with them, Reuben and, and, and Gad offer to send their soldiers. An agreement is reached. So you think, well, everything's okay. Well, Moses still has a stern warning. He says the land they desire will be theirs if they carry through with their offer. When you see this and them wanting this land, I don't know if you remember the story, but why do they want to stay over there? So where were their priorities? What was livestock to those people back then? That's their wealth, isn't it? It's their, you know, 401, isn't it? So here they were thinking that says this area is a lot better for my cattle to feed on, to take care of the cattle. Didn't say that, check with the Lord, see if it's okay. Let's just use this, you know, my cattle are important, and it must be that they had a bunch of good cattle. Is there anything wrong with that? I mean, basically. There's not, is there? Except... They're not helping the brethren. (laughs) So when you see this, Moses gives them this stern warning. He says, the land they desire will be theirs if they carry through with their offer. Now, their offer was, or their agreement was, we'll kind of take care of what we're talking about over here on this side of the Jordan for for our cattle and our, our livestock, And then we will arm ourselves, and we'll be in front. Sounds pretty good so far, doesn't it? Well, you know, as Christians, we're all in a battle, aren't we? We sing a song, soldiers of Christ, what? 
arise. And we sing a song, the battle belongs to the Lord. We, we have songs that are around us that tell us that we're soldiers for Christ, aren't we? Well, if we don't do our part, who loses? Everybody does, don't they? So here is, are these tribes that are making these deals. Why would they even do this? When the Lord has said, you go across, I'm going to be with you. Well, he doesn't stop there. He says, if they don't keep their agreement, they will have sinned against who? The Lord. Be sure that their sin will find them out. So here's an issue that says, you've upset me, Moses says, because you don't want to go, but you're not hurting me. Who are you hurting? Or who are you going against? Going against the Lord, aren't you? You know, when, when you see people do this, <laughs> and throughout all our lessons, we've been through this, haven't we? Where the people know better, don't they? They know what's needed all of a sudden, even the Lord, although the Lord said, you're ready to go. And they messed up for 40 years, didn't they? And I can see Moses. We've already seen about him the lesson where we said Moses was speechless. Can you imagine what he was like here? I imagine his blood pressure was high. Any comments so far? Well, I put on here... They forgot who was in charge. And when you think about that, let's turn to Proverbs 14 and verse 12. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. I think we went over this when we did the Proverbs lessons, but it says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of what? Death. When you and I start deciding we know what needs to be done compared to the scriptures, what have we done? We've, we've what? We've left, some, uh, we've left the most important part out. We've said we can do this without you, God. Isn't that really what's happening? And when we do that, God doesn't forget, does he? And he knows that he can take care of this, and you can't. Passage out of the um, Noah and out of Proverbs says, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that what? Will stand. When the Lord makes a decision, and he tells these people, I've made this decision... Why, why do you think they wouldn't do it? <laughs> Are they trying to come up with better plans? Well, when you go a little bit farther in Lamentations 3, and again, this is English Standard, it says, Who has spoken and it came to pass, unless who has commanded? The Lord. 
So here we have the bottom line is even though they were thinking of their property and thinking of their wealth, they were leaving the Lord out of their decision, weren't they? And when you do that, you're prioritizing what man wants versus God, and it doesn't work. Never has worked. And I just put in there that they forgot who was in charge. Well, the other part is they had misplaced priorities. And what do I mean by that? Being a good Texas boy, I, the cattle we would be dealing with in Texas would be longhorns. And they're expensive, and they've got to eat. And where were their priorities? Their priorities were their cattle and not what the Lord wanted. And when you do that, and I say you're affecting yourself, you know you're trying to do the best for your family. That's true. But who is our true family? It's right here, isn't it? And when we do this and we have misplaced priorities, it leaves other family members out, doesn't it? <laughs> they might have had the best cattle. They might have had the best range to have the cattle. But across the Jordan, their brothers are fighting. You know, total fight going on. And they're left out. When you look at... Um, talking about it you know these verses we've talked about these before in Matthew 6 and 24 well known verse we all know how it's going to what it's going to say as part of the Sermon on the Mount and in verse 24 it's talking about serving two masters isn't it and when when you're talking about serving them there's a hate and there's a love or there's a loyalty and there's and you're despising. And it says you can't serve God in what? Mammon. And what is mammon? Riches, wealth, longhorns. So there is a choice for us. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about this. There's two paths. There's a wide path and there's a narrow path in there. And you and I have to make that choice just like they made a choice of a priority. And the priority said, my cattle come before my brothers. Well, when you go on and look at verse 33, we, we talked about this before. There is a priority that the Lord has set. And here's Jesus talking to these people and they've never heard these things like the Beatitudes and, and these things that are being taught to them. And, and he says, there's a priority. It says, seek first the kingdom and what all these things will be taken care of. They'd forgotten that. And when they forgot that, the bad part is they did get to keep that land. But guess who was first taken over by the Assyrians? Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manassas. So, you know, the Lord let them do this even though they forgot who was in charge and had misplaced priorities. 
Well, when we take this to you and I, and we think this through, you and I are in a battle, aren't we, as Christians? Not a physical battle, but it's a battle that we have to fight if we've taken the responsibility on of being a Christian. Well, who's going to fight it? you got to have soldiers, don't you? Well, when you look at the soldiers, let's go to 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3. And Paul is, is writing here, so it's interesting that he's talking about it. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3, it says, Therefore you must endure, is what uh, my version says. Um, some versions might say you must share, if some of them say. And what it says is share what? Hardship. As what? A good soldier of whose army? Of Christ. So if we know we've got to have soldiers... We've got to to be ready to be soldiers, don't we? We have to train. Well, if you train, you don't go and fight barehanded, do you? So what do you have to have? You've got to have weapons. And we know that these weapons are not what we're thinking of a sword or a javelin or, or other things, but we're lucky enough to have the Word of God, and we're lucky enough to have it printed. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 10 and look at verse 3, I'm going to read 3 through 6, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. If they had depended on God, they could have done anything, couldn't they, the children of Israel? Then it says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is what? Fulfilled. So, so far with the battle, we know we have to be good soldiers. He tells Timothy to be a good soldier. Endure, endure the hardships. It's not going to always be easy, is it? And we know that we have the proper weapons. We have uh, the word of God. Well, we have to deal with the desires of the world. When you go to Second or First Peter, chapter two, and verse eleven. First Peter two eleven says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which what against the soul? They war against it, is what mine says. Does somebody else have other things? Wage war. So we're not only soldiers and we not only have what we need, of course, Christ, but we're going against a lot in the world, aren't we? And besides that, stay in First Peter, we've got a pretty bad adversary, don't we? 
In 1 Peter 5, just skip over a couple of pages, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, it says, be vigilant, or mine starts out, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may desire, devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your who? Brotherhood in the world. So with that idea, we've already talked that the soldiers have to endure. We've already talked that we have what we need with the Bible, and it's complete. We know that the adversary with Satan is a formidable bad dude. Well, when we look at that in, in Ephesians 6, what does it say? Finally, what does it tell us to do? Does it say, well, I'm just going to put on a helmet today, or I just want to put the cleats on. What does it say? Put on the full armor of God, doesn't it? And it tells us to be strong with who? Strong in the Lord, doesn't it? And with that strength, the Lord gives us through his word, and we learn what we need, and we know that when we see what that armor is, that it's important that we have it all, doesn't it? Because it talks about truth, righteousness, and what is the only offensive weapon that's mentioned? The sword, isn't it? So here we are told that finally be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Well, we've got a couple of minutes. Now we have to ask ourselves the last question for the class. How would the body of Christ be if every soldier was like me? That's the question we have to ask. You know, we've, we've talked tonight that when these children of Israel moved, they moved according to what God said. They moved in unity, didn't they? They were in unity to protect the tabernacle. They were in unity to do what God said. They were in unity because they were told when to leave and when to stop. And with this unity, it was a unity that God expected of them and expects with us. And in order for that unity... It says in Corinthians, not in Corinthians, but in Ephesians 4, that all this is surrounded by the bond of peace, isn't it? That all this unity, in order for us to have unity, there has to be peace. Well, in war times, we all ask for peace, don't we? But it doesn't mean that we can stop the battle because this battle is a tough battle with Satan. It's a battle that can't be won unless we're all involved. Any comments? Thanks for all your comments. Thanks for all your um, keeping up with what's going on on this and being diligent. Thank you very much.